Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And I want to welcome you to a sample of uh, what I call listener-supported podcasting. And uh, by that, I mean it's not only that some generous souls have donated some of their hard-earned cash to help keep these podcasts uh, floating around in cyberspace, but uh, today's program is all about a little trip, pun intended, that one of our fellow saloners took recently. A few months back, you might remember, I read an exchange of emails between Matt Palomary and uh, James, who joins us each week from Colorado, where he's been a pre-med student. And uh, what they were talking about was the various ways a person can prepare for an ayahuasca experience, because James was heading to the Amazon with some friends to have the experience for the first time. Well, I'm pleased to let you know that James has now returned from his ayahuasca adventure, safe, sound, and uh, perhaps even a little transformed. And since there uh, has been so much interest in this topic in the email I've been receiving, I thought that it might be interesting for all of us to hear some of his stories firsthand. And uh, James was gracious enough to agree. Now, one of the things I hope you'll take away from this conversation today is how James's uh, seemingly mundane job that he needed to pay for books and tuition led to an ayahuasca adventure in the Amazon. And the point being that uh, you never know when Lady Ayahuasca may be reaching out to you. So pay attention to the little things in life, uh, even casual conversations, because you never know where they might lead. And now, uh, please join James and me as we talk about his first experience with the vine. I guess uh, the best place to start is at at the beginning. Uh, I was, quite frankly, uh, really pleasantly surprised when I got your email and uh, you talked about this, uh, I guess, expedition, excursion, or class. I don't know exactly what to call it. Uh, why don't you just kind of rewind for me and, and tell me how this all came about? Sure. Um, it, it's actually really strange. I've been into psychiatry. I'm, I'm about to take the MCAT. I'm going to med school. And to get through to get through school, I was doing um, some carpet work. I was cleaning carpet to get through school, and uh, I cleaned the carpet of a doctor that lives here in Colorado. And uh, we started talking about things, and it, it's uh, it kind of came up that he was interested in shamanism, and so the ayahuasca came up. And this is about three years ago, and uh, come to find out, he had been working with some shamans from Ecuador. And those shamans came up and actually visited here in Colorado. So I was able to meet uh, some of the shamans, and after spending more time with this doctor, um, he was planning a trip. Three, uh, this was three years ago, so um, he said he was planning a trip in a couple years. So this professor, or this, this doctor, he, he organized this trip, and, and about how many people uh, were there all together that joined you? Uh, there were 20 of us. Wow, good-sized group. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it was. Um, I, I think um, they were looking for about 20 people to go just to make the trip uh, affordable. And then in, in addition to us, the, the 20 members that went for the trip, we had two guides that met us there that did everything with us. 
Now, now in, in the emails we exchanged before uh, you guys went down there, uh, I know that for, for sure you had never had any experience with ayahuasca. Uh, had any of the other uh, people uh, experienced that medicine before? Um, yeah, there were the two guides for sure. And then as far as people on the trip, um, there were some people that had gone to trips um, in, years, in years prior, and I, I believe that they had had multiple experiences with ayahuasca. But as far as the... Um, the whole group, very few of us. I think there were only two people that had prior experience. So I, I imagine there was uh, some trepidation uh, among all of you, not just uh, the going to the jungle part, but the ayahuasca as well. Absolutely. Um, there were there were some people that had ne- had absolutely no psychedelic experience at all. Um, I believe there are people that had never done any 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 sort of psychotropic drug, really, other than you know, say caffeine or nicotine or something like that. Mm-hmm. So this was definitely branching out for a lot of the people in our group. Um, some of us um, had had, uh, I'd say, moderate psychedelic experience, but nothing like ayahuasca. Had had uh, was was the group mixed uh, age age wise, men and women, or uh, how was that makeup uh, that way? Um, I would say there were we were mixed pretty evenly as far as gender is concerned. Age, um, there were maybe six of us. Or six or seven of us under the age of 30, between 20 and 30, and then the rest were uh, middle age. Mm-hmm. I would say 40 to. We actually had um, uh, an elderly lady, wonderful lady that came with us. I think she was late 60s, 70s. Of course, now that I'm 65, elderly doesn't sound. It sounds a lot farther out. But <laughs> I'll, I'll, let that, I'll let that slide. You know, I don't feel that way on the inside, so it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> Uh, it's all so, about how you feel. Uh, so it's it's uh, it is it's all about how you feel. So uh, do do you have any idea how uh, the the uh, organizers of this trip uh, how how he uh, made contact with the shamans? How did he find reputable uh, ayahuascaros shamans? Because uh, that's a question that we're getting a lot in. You know, I I have some people I've been working with, but nobody really likes to. Uh, uh, pass out names, etc., because they don't want people to be swamped. But uh, so I'm kind of curious if you know how he made contact with this particular group. And and actually, that that I, I actually asked um, our guide and several other members, um, as well as the shaman, if it would be all right if I mentioned their name. They they were definitely against it. I, I figured um, that, yeah. Of, right, knowing that uh, I was going to do this interview. Um, they, I, I, I consider myself totally fortunate to just have run into the people that I ran into and via their network of connections had the opportunity to see world-renowned shamans. There, a lot of the shamans down there are definitely uh, in it for the money. There's a lot of fakers. And so I know that's a big deal. As far as finding them down there, I have no idea. These, these, uh, the particular shaman that we worked with with Ayahuasca had been very good friends with our guide for 20 years, 30 years. And our guide was very good friends with some of the members of our group for 20, 30 years. So it, I, I have no idea how they actually ended up meeting. I was just fortunate enough to run into the right people at the right time. And I, and I think um, you, you had said before that, um, you know, when it's time for you to do ayahuasca or ayahuasca is calling you, it'll find a way to find you. And I think that's kind of how it happened for me and my friends. I was um, I was just I, I thinking that as you were call. talking. Yeah, because because uh, my story is similar to yours, and and but yours is is truly amazing. Here you are working your way through school and cleaning carpets, 
and ayahuasca found you that way. It, you know, it, it's uh, it sounds like you couldn't have avoided this. No, after, I mean, yeah, I've, I've always I was always interested in it. I always wanted to do it, and just the the way that every the synchronicities involved in in us. Uh, meeting the right people and going down there at this particular time, meeting this particular shaman, just absolutely amazing. And I and I really do that really rang with me, um, rang true with me when you had said that in an earlier podcast. That you know it, when it's your time, I, I think it, it'll come to you. I don't think you should really worry a whole lot about seeking it out. Well, I, that's that's the way it worked for me. I'm I'm glad to see that it worked for at least one other person that way, and uh, and a couple others I've talked to. So uh, I, we're we're going to leave it at that as far as. Uh, finding the uh, the right contacts, although one of the key things that you did say, and, and it was true in my case, is uh, I made friends with some guides who had been working with the same people for, you know, 15, 20 years, and, and I'd known these people for quite a long time. So it's not like something uh, that happens overnight. Uh, you don't get on a plane and fly to Peru and say, or Ecuador, or wherever, and say, I'm going to, you know, seek one out. I think uh, the patience uh, comes in handy here, too. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's really important. There was there was such a connection um, between some of the members of our group and the shaman and our guide that really we really um, even though we were in a place we had never been in the middle of the jungle, far from anything that's familiar to us. You, we really had it felt like we had a safety net. We were safe with them. Um, we knew that there was a connection between them, which helped us to feel safe and connected. So I, I do think there's something uh, important about that. Yeah, that's that's a really good point uh, as far as the uh, making the uh, safe vessel to contain your experiences in. Uh, why don't you just kind of uh, take us through your your trip? I know that uh, a lot of us can put ourselves in your uh, position of saying, okay, well, I've never been to the jungle in Ecuador, and I don't know what I'm going to be looking at. And uh, then on top of that, you have this uh, ayahuasca experience ahead of you. So uh, kind of, if you would, just take us through, uh, you know, how you got from Colorado to the middle of the jungle. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I think it would probably be best if we just started from uh, when we got there. Okay. Uh, we spent a, a week in the Andes. Um, and and this this trip wasn't strictly about ayahuasca. We actually saw um, several other shamans um, that didn't really use many psychoactive uh, psychotropic plants at all. Um, they were just uh, spiritual healers, and they had, and we did many ceremonies ceremonies with them prior to our ayahuasca trip. And this is in the Andes. Um, some of them did use other plants. We uh, we had the opportunity to chew uh, coca leaves, mm-hmm. which um, that was pretty cool. Um, so from uh, after staying in, in the Andes for a week, uh, it was time to go to the jungle. We were all psyched about it. Did you um, did you see uh, so, like did you in the Andes? Did you get to any of the uh, ancient sites while you were there? In in Ecuador, we no. Okay. Um, we we really were just there to see these particular shamans. Okay, so this was so we, really we uh, an investigation into the uh, what we would call alternative medicine or shamanism. Uh, so you were really down there. Uh, not not as tourists, but as uh, sort of uh, curious investigators. Yeah, and, and and not only not only in the sense of just trying to figure out what this is all about, but I think a lot of us went there um, to really be healed. We wanted to find out how the healing works so that we could pass on the knowledge to others. But um, on a more personal note, just to to heal ourselves, to really um, experience uh, what these shamans had to offer in terms of bettering ourselves as people. Um, so it wasn't just to you know look and see, but but also to uh, 
you know, to cure us of, of some possible ill that we thought they might be able to help with. Right, right. And um, did you did you find that that kind of like being there for a week and, and getting acclimatized to the environment and the culture just a little bit uh, kind of helped get you set for your ayahuasca experience as opposed to if you've just flown in and the next day had had the experience? Absolutely. I think everything is so different down there that it, it, it's, it's trippy right when you get there because everything's so new, and especially in the jungle. When, when you get a, um, you know, deep in, into the Amazon, um, all the plants, I mean, it's like nothing you've ever seen. It, it, it looks psychedelic when you're totally sober. So many colors, so many different plants and animals and things that you've never seen. So I think that, yeah, it was, um, it was really important. We went into the jungle and spent uh, three days just kind of hanging out and getting used to uh, being in the jungle, getting used to living there. We lived um, just like the shaman and his family out there. We, we ate grubs and uh, new foods, and we just kind of got acclimatized to everything. Uh, and I think that was really important. That's a good point. So did did they, uh, like, uh, encourage you to, to change your diet once you were there so that you were starting to do a, somewhat of an ayahuasca-type diet? Well, I was really curious about that. Me, me and my friend uh, looked into that, and especially after hearing uh, Matt Pelomary talk about the extensive, the super rigor, rigorous diet that he was on, um, I remember him talking about, you know, no sugar. I, I can't remember exactly what he was eating, but it was like simple carbohydrates, and that was it. Yeah. Um, and we uh, we really didn't change our diet a whole lot. Um, in fact, most of the group had no diet restrictions up until the day of um, the ceremony. And it, even then, we didn't fast the whole day. We fasted from an early lunch, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the day was fasting. Um, me and my, uh, my group of friends that I brought, um, we had abstained from uh, red meat, alcohol, um, and tried to eat generally as many raw foods as we could for about a month prior to our trip in preparation. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a requirement. That was something that we did on our own after just researching it a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think that uh, in particular the uh, the alcohol, uh, and I'm not uh, against alcohol uh, in, in used right, but uh, th- that seems to be something that uh, I've learned to to avoid in the month leading up to it. So I think that was probably a good move on your part. Yeah, I, I think it did help other members of our group. Um, you know, being in another country and they you know they wanted to hit the bar scene a little bit. Um, they they had drank, and I don't know that it. Was super deleterious to their to their experience at all, but I do know that some of those people did have a little harsher experience. And I think there was something in what Palomary was saying about it, it, it's about respect to the plant. You're you're kind of sacrificing these things, um, in, in some senses physiologically, so they don't have any weird chemical interactions. But on another level, it's it's a spiritual kind of a uh, this is what I'm giving forth. Um, this is what I'm giving to the plant. I'm I'm sacrificing this in respect. Um, and I think that kind of played a large part, at least in my mind, for the things that I gave up prior to the prior to the uh, the, the trip. Yeah, I, I found the same thing, and uh, although it took me a lot longer to figure that out, because uh, you know, being a Westerner, you don't really kind of get into this uh, the plant spirits as easily. But once you start kind of grokking that a little bit, uh, it does seem to make sense as far as uh, on, on some planes for sure. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. When I when I'm when I'm talking about this to a lot of my a lot of my friends at school or other doctors, um, there there really is a they're very wary 
um, when I talk about it in non-physiological terms like that. Um, interestingly enough, I, I had seen a, uh, another shaman. He was actually one of the heads of the Association of Shamans in Ecuador um, three months prior to our trip. And I asked him, you know, am I ready for ayahuasca? Am I prepared? And he looked at me, and the way shamans look at you, it's like they look right through you. It's the weirdest <laughs> feeling. You're right. Um, they, they're very deep. Um, it's like looking into the bottom of caves. And um, he looked me up and down, and he said, no, no, you are definitely not ready. This is three months part of the trip. And I said, well, what can I do pre- to prepare? And um, he said uh, that I should meditate, which I, I meditate every day anyway. But I really kicked it up a notch. And he also said that I should uh, abstain from sex for two weeks prior to the, the ayahuasca ceremony. So I also uh, did that on uh, on his recommendation. And it seemed to work out fine because when I got there, we actually met up with this shaman and he said I was I was well prepared and uh, was very strong and ready to go. Yeah, and as you kind just pointed out, I, I think it's a combination. I, I think there definitely are some... Uh, physiological factors involved here, uh, particularly with the uh, the food and alcohol, etc. But there's there's also this psychological component as well. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, the more that you do to prepare, wh- wh- whether it's following somebody else's regimen or just doing your own uh, preparation, but, you know, focusing on what's coming uh, seems to be the, the way to maximize the experience. Absolutely. Definitely. Now, I saw some pictures that you sent. Uh, it, it looked like you, you actually were watching them prepare the brew. Is that is that uh, the fact? Yeah, um, it was. I, I loved that part of the trip. That day, the day of the um, ayahuasca ceremony, in the afternoon, um, the shaman took us around his home, which I also sent you a picture of that, that big thatched hut um, kind of house. Um, we walked around his garden, and he showed, showed us where he grows the ayahuasca. And um, he told us a little bit about um, how to prepare it and that he told us about five different kinds of ayahuasca vines that in the jungle and how he only uses one particular kind. Um, the kind of vine that we used was 25 years old. It takes generally, you know, two decades or more to, uh, to become fully mature. And then um, he also showed us how they prepared it into small sections, shaving off the bark and... Uh, they would put a layer of, of ayahuasca and a layer of Psychotria viridis or some other DMT-containing plant, and then another layer of huasca, another layer of DMT, another layer of huasca. Fill the, uh, whatever they put it in, usually a large cauldron, fill that with water and boil it for several hours. And we got to see all this. Wow. that That's really, really uh, interesting. I've never had the uh, opportunity to actually see the the brew prepared uh, in person. You know, I've seen pictures of it. So that makes an, a nicer connection. Is that the brew you actually drank that night? That was. Yeah, it was a very brew. I, I, I do think there was something uh, something comforting about seeing the actual plants that that you were going to uh, partake in later that later that evening. Yeah, it, it is a continuation of building a relationship with with the plant. Uh, I believe so. Uh, so, what what uh, uh, th- that afternoon uh, you were essentially fasting from uh, you know a late lunch on, and then what what time did your ceremony start, and how did it, it uh, unfold? Okay, um, well, it was an early lunch that we we, we had an early lunch, not a late lunch. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we ate about 11, and then the rest of the day we fasted. And I believe the ceremony started probably around 9 o'clock or so. 
it was just that um, it had been dark for less than an hour probably. And um, we all got in that, that picture that I sent you of the large thatched hut. Um, that's actually the, the place where um, the ceremony was held. And they laid down mats, and the bottom of the um, the hut is all open air. There was a there was a ceiling, a thatched ceiling, and then there were no there were no walls. Mm-hmm. So around the edge of uh, the inside of this hut, they laid down mats, and um, we all sat down in a circle or a semicircle. And um, the people, about half of our group, a little more than half of our group, ended up taking ayahuasca. The other half were going to be um, sitters or helpers. Um, if, if some of us um, needed to go to the bathroom or something like that to help us walk and, and things like that, they sat on the other side completing the circle. Then the shaman was at the head of the circle um, with a table behind him, and on the table he had set um, little teacups full of ayahuasca prepared specifically for each person on our trip. Um, I think he prepared them in terms of uh, of body weight and also, um, what he thought that we needed. And one by one, um, he came to each person um, and gave them uh, a cup of ayahuasca. Oh, and, th- and this is actually, he drank the ayahuasca before anyone else did. He drank a full cup himself. Right. You know, this um, this uh, uh, is very similar to uh, the uh, tradition that I'm, I uh, participate in as well, where the shaman... Uh, particularly after he gets to know you even better, uh, can adjust the, the dose level uh, depending on what you're trying to do that night or where he thinks you are, uh, and like you say, body weight, etc. So uh, these guys have a lot of experience with this uh, kind of thing. They can kind of size you up pretty quickly, it seems to me. Absolutely, and I think this goes back to both the physiological thing and the spiritual mental thing. They, they, I think they consider both, just like uh, the diet and preparation when you're about to actually take it, I think the shaman takes those two components into consideration before giving you whatever amount. Yeah, I agree. Um, after that, uh, everyone was real nervous. It, it, it was just like electricity in the air. Everyone was, you know, half excited, half anxious, half just blown away by the whole experience so far. And, and uh, after we all drank, um, me and my friend uh, said a couple of uh, personal prayers and meditated together. Um, that day we had been meditating all day in preparation. And after after we all drank, we sat up there in the dark, and they, they turn out all light, so it's very, very dark. There's not a whole lot of light in the middle of the jungle anyway. Um, and we all sat there for about 20 minutes or so waiting for the for the onset of the effects. And at first, I, I just remember being really, really nervous. It's, and it, it came to mind, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, you know, buy the ticket, take the ride. Well, we had all bought the ticket, and just waiting for the ride was was uh, very anxiety-provoking because you just don't know what's going to happen. And uh, I would say at about the 20, 25-minute mark, um, one of the members of our group, a good friend of mine, began purging already. Uh, very, it hit, hit her very quickly. Um, and that was when we were all like, okay, we're really starting to feel something. Uh, it began with um, somatic type feelings. Just My whole body was just filled with energy, um, very strong. Um, and I, in terms of like Shulgin's scale, I think me and, me and my closest friend, um, our trip was about, I would say between a two and a three 
and um, a lot of other people had, I didn't have a whole, whole lot of visuals during the trip. Some other people had, I mean, I did have a few. Some other people had amazing, very deep visuals. Uh, mine was more, I tend to be a bit of a feeler anyway. So a lot of, a lot of uh, what I experienced were insights and um, insights into my life and into, into problems that I may have had. And um, whereas some other people definitely, like, were seeing all kinds of different things. Um, well, I think uh, you. As far you, as purging is Yeah, go, okay, go, let's go ahead and, and talk about that, and then I've got uh, a number of questions I wanted to ask you. But, uh, yeah, let's go, go ahead and cover the purging thing. Okay. Well, yeah, there, there, there's so much that happened and so many things that I'd like to say that I, I just, like, don't know where to go. So it might help, um, yeah, if you ask me some more specific questions about different aspects of, of people's trips and experiences, and I can kind of go from there. But as far as purging, um, you know, our guide as well as the shaman, a lot of people were, uh, being Westerners, very new to the idea of purging. We all look uh, look at vomiting like it's this horrible, horrible thing or and diarrhea. Um, but... In terms of an ayahuasca ceremony, it's it's an actually a very beneficial thing. It's something that people look forward to doing. Um, and even though uh, I'd heard stories about people, you know, fasting for a day and having absolutely nothing in their stomach, but still vomiting out just this massive load of of uh, sort of a physical manifestation of all these like spiritual or um, or psycho uh, psycho material that you, like these negative feelings that you have or negative things that you're you're getting out of your system. And uh, my friend, she must have had a lot of negative things. Um, she she puked for about two hours, um, and this was her first psychedelic. So you can you can imagine she was definitely in a in a frantic state there for a little while. Well, you know that um, that brings up something I think uh, very interesting here is that uh, I have seen this a lot, and and I've talked to other people who who say the same thing is that your first uh, few psychedelic experiences are the ones uh, particularly that are going to be the roughest because that's where uh, you're bringing up a lot of things. And if, of course, your first experience is on ayahuasca where purging is normal, uh, you know, it, it I think is probably could be a very good first psychedelic experience as long as you're uh, prepared to, uh, you know, face the stuff that's coming up. But uh, uh, I, I think that... Uh, that your your friend probably uh, might have had as rough a ride, uh, you know, with any psychedelic because uh, that's often the case. Absolutely, and and in retrospect, even the next day, she was um, very happy, felt so much lighter. She knew it was something that she needed to do, and in fact, she even said, um, "I can relate her experience uh, later." It was just uh, an amazing thing that happened to her. Um, she she uh, she felt like she had more to get out after the end. Um, she said she she felt like she wanted to do ayahuasca again because it, it wasn't all out. And even though the experience of it was very very hard, she said it was absolutely one of the most beneficial things ever. Um, the next day she was just happy and floating and so happy that she had done it. Although she did say it was you know one of the one of the scariest things that had ever happened. And I think that's how most most bad trips are. Um, they're not bad in themselves. I mean, the, the experiences can can seem negative at the time, but the overall net effect is always good. I think if you open yourself up to those, and, and I think that's what she did. And our guide and the shaman all said that she did very, very well. That was what she needed to do. Yeah, it sounds like you had some really good uh, guides and shamans for uh, a young woman to have a first experience, first psychedelic experience, then come out on the bright side. Uh, sounds like she was really in good hands. Absolutely, we all were, and that, I think that had um, 
a major benefit to all of us there doing, I mean, being in a strange place, doing a, a strange plant medicine and, and just having these strange experiences, um, leaving you in a, a precarious mental state doesn't feel like you have a whole lot to, to fall back on sometimes. And having someone like um, the shaman we had, it was just the, his presence alone just made you feel safe. He was absolutely the most humble person I've ever met, most powerful in his, in his humility that I've ever met. And being around him, you felt safe. We'd also heard many stories of him being able to um, to absolutely uh, actually stop someone's experience while on ayahuasca. Um, I guess prior groups that our guide had taken to this same shaman, um, uh, an elderly lady, had actually passed out and become unconscious during um, during ayahuasca ceremony. It just it was just so, too intense for her, and uh, the shaman came out and sucked the experience out of her stomach and she immediately woke up and was immediately sober and didn't experience anything else for the for the duration of the ceremony or in the days following. So you know, I've heard that, I've heard other stories like that that that, that really uh, ring true. It's just amazing when, when somebody can do something like that, isn't it? Absolutely. It's it's mind boggling. We don't understand how they do it or anything. It's just absolutely amazing. And and being around somebody like that really um, I think lets you let go a little bit more than you would if you didn't have something like that. So you can really dig into your experience a little bit and not have to worry about, you know, am I going to come back or am I damaging myself? There's somebody looking out for you that's been there a million times and is confident in his ability to navigate these other worlds that you're experiencing. I think you said just a, a moment ago about how you felt safe with the shaman. That may be uh, one of the keys for people when they're, they are going down to the uh, Amazon and seeking out a shaman if they don't have uh, uh, any pre-connection. Uh, but if they go down there, if they feel good about the guy, if they're not feeling edgy, I think that's number one because I've heard stories of some of these guys are real charlatans. And uh, if you don't feel safe with the guy, you really shouldn't be doing a psychedelic uh, journey with him, you know? Absolutely, and, and that was the same with all the shamans we saw were world-renowned healers. They're very famous for what they do, and every single one of them has the same presence about them. I think it's really important. You should really, when um, about to, when you're going through a healing, you should really feel something, feel drawn to that person before you do a healing with them. I think that's really important. Um, our shaman actually, uh, he differentiated between, oh, I, sh- I should also say that um, all the shamans that we saw were Kichua shamans, as opposed to, I know a lot of people do ayahuasca with um, in Peru with uh, the shawar. Right. And so just to let 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 people know what type of uh, shaman and what type of indigenous people we were staying with is is the Quechua. And um, in the Quechua tradition, they they differentiate between um, their shamans and their yachaks. Yachaks are the like the the, the highest level uh, of attainment for a shaman. And actually, the shamans, um, as our shaman uh, explained to us, are actually people who have, who know how to heal, who have these supernatural powers of being able to navigate these um, psychedelic worlds, but haven't conquered their own ego enough mm. to be, be humble in, in, in knowing that they have this power. The yachaks, um, on the other hand, as, as our shaman uh, explained, have are always going to be very humble, very... Um, there's, there's not going to be any ego in them. And all the shamans that we met and worked with really had this feeling of th- there was absolutely no ego in anything they did. They really were doing it just for us. They were really, When they were looking at you and talking to you, it was just with you. There was 
uh, this this real feeling of uh, caring and gentleness and humility in everything they did. And I think that might be something that's important to look for too. Yeah, that's that's really uh, a good good uh, good thought, and uh, it's it's interesting to uh, hear the distinctions they're making in shamans because uh, that really is the danger in this whole thing is that uh, people can get inflated with themselves if they're not careful. That, let let me uh, ask a couple quick questions, and then we'll uh, I'll, I'll let you uh, kind of finish up on. Uh, your end of the uh, journey, but the the questions I know that are going to come up uh, with some other people, uh, not necessarily they won't know it's a question until it happens, but that from the the time in the afternoon after your meal until about 9 o'clock at night, uh, wasn't that one of the longest periods of your life, or or is that just me? (laughs) (laughs) No, it was, well, you know what, We, we, we filled it up with so many things. Um, going, it wasn't like we were just sitting around. And I had heard um, from our guy that uh, other groups of people that he've that he's taken there when they're fasting, they've actually gone on long hikes during this period, which to me didn't seem very smart at all because I'm used to eating, you know, like most Americans every you know three or four hours. Um, but I, I guess it's not really such a big deal there. When you're in the when you're in the jungle and you're living like they do, and you know you're you're doing this in preparation of of something huge. At, uh, I don't know, it just didn't seem that bad for us. Um, we spent, I know we spent a couple hours meditating, but the rest of the time was spent um, with the shaman in his uh, in his garden, so to speak. We couldn't really tell where the garden ended and the jungle began, but he seemed to know um, and, and, and had all these plants that he was growing um, and showed us around that. So we were, we were doing stuff, and even though we didn't, um, the people that weren't doing ayahuasca, they still had dinner, and we joined them for that just to talk more about what we were going to do that evening. And so it was... Um, it really didn't seem that bad. Well, that's good. I, I know because as as you were talking, uh, particularly then after you took your drink and you're sitting in the dark uh, quietly waiting, I I almost had the feeling coming back on me. I could feel myself starting to move into that space because it's uh, it is sort of a strange time. And then uh, when the first person purges, uh, in my case, I always feel okay. That gives me the uh, okay to do whatever I want to do now. I don't have to hold back. I can purge. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to be the first. Uh, it seems to do that. Yeah, I, I think we kind of had the the same feeling going. I don't know if you know. I, I wonder who's going to feel it first. I wonder who's going to purge first. I think we were all kind of thinking about that. And uh, well, my friend, uh, she she took care of that for us <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I know one time I was the first to purge, and I felt really proud of the fact that I'd made it okay for everybody else. <laughs> well, it, it was funny. Um, my friend, she was purging, like I said, for hours. Everybody else, I think a little over half of the group purged. Me and my friend actually never purged, which was weird. Uh, we thought we were going to. I thought for sure I would, and um, nothing. Um, I think it was due to all the preparation we had done. Maybe I, I, I really don't know why. Um, but I think ayahuasca, you know, kind of gives you what you need, and if you don't need to purge, then you won't. I think a lot of people get hung up. I've heard of people saying that, you know, you have to purge, or you're, um, or you're not getting any, you're not, you're not getting the full experience. Then conversely, I've heard other people say that you don't want to purge because you want to hold the medicine in as long as you want. And I think um, it might be smart to play it a little more relaxed than that. I think what will, uh, if you need, if you're going to purge, uh, or if you need to purge, ayahuasca will. Will make you purge. If you don't need to, then you might not. And I don't think uh, there's really any need to get hung up about the purging at all. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right with you there. And and in fact, uh, the first several times I did ayahuasca, uh, I didn't purge either. And uh, but I went to I was really uh, 
careful about my preparation the first several times and and like you and I think that the shaman was right you were ready and that's probably you had you you had done so much preparation of the psychic uh, material you already uh had unburdened yourself somehow and it wasn't until I got kind of cocky after four or five times and uh I didn't follow the diet and everything quite as faithfully and all of a sudden I started purging and now I found it doesn't really have much to do with uh anything other than what ayahuasca wants to teach me at the time and I'm either going to or I'm not Absolutely. I don't even worry about it yeah 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 you just have to let go into the experience for sure and whatever's going to happen it's going to guide you and and like you, I I didn't have much in the way of visuals for a long time. It's only recently now that I, I get visuals. But uh, I I think that that you hit the nail on the head where you said, well, it was a plus two to plus three, not many visuals, but the insights are the main things. You want to uh, talk about that some? Yeah, absolutely. Um, right after it started to kick in, and we were all just feeling surges of this electrical energy. Um, the, the shamans down there, or all the people actually, refer to Mother Earth as um, Pachamama. And um, I was really, really nervous, and the shaman had told me, you know, just open up to Pachamama, open up to Pachamama. Um, and I was feeling overly anxious, and I, I just asked for help. I said, I, I want to be okay through this, I want to learn something, you know. Um, I really just opened myself up. And then I actually had an auditory hallucination, which is I've never had in, uh, an auditory hallucination on any other psychedelics. Um, and Mother Earth actually whispered to me, said, just breathe, baby, just breathe. And from then on, from that point, this is about probably half hour, 45 minutes into it, from that point on to the rest, for the rest of the ceremony, I was as calm as I've ever been in my entire life. It was absolutely amazing. Just I felt embraced by the jungle, embraced by Mother Earth. Um, Part of the insights had to do with um, I tend to be really overcritical of myself and others, and um, I just was filled with love for not only myself but for, and not in a selfish way, but just um, the realization that I'm trying, doing my best, and so are others, and that everything's really okay the way it is. Um, I think we we tend to try to force um, the world to be a certain way many times, and uh, I think I also was just kind of telling me that for the most part. Um, even though things seem so bad in so many different ways, there's good people trying, everyone's trying to do their best, um, and that everything in general is okay, and it's going to be okay, no matter what happens. Um, that was the overall insight, um, as well as many, many, like, sub-epiphanies that I had throughout the night about little um, personal things that, that I had been either um, thinking about or working on myself. Um, as far as visuals... Um, this is another interesting thing about the trip that I, that, that I should probably say, or the ceremony, is um, that night, while you're, while you're having the experience, each one of you, uh, each one of the mem- members of the group are brought up individually to the shaman, and the shaman performs a healing while you're sitting on this little stool, and he's sitting in front of you, um, where he's seeing Icaros or spiritual songs, um, and that I had never heard of in any, um, any, any readings or research I had done on ayahuasca ceremonies. But the interesting part is um, the next, the following day, you get a personal interview with the shaman and he tells you what he saw in his vision regarding you and your life. Um, so whereas, even though I had very few visuals, the visuals that I did have, he'll explain them for you or interpret them for you or help you interpret them as well as interpret his own visions regarding you. So you really do uh, 
get a good idea of what the experience was all about from not only from your own interpretation, but um, you know, a master shaman's interpretation of Yachuk. So I thought that was very interesting. That that really as far is as my visual. Yeah, yeah, I, I I thought that was amazing. I'd never heard of anything like that, and um, everybody really really appreciated, it, especially the people that were that were new um, to the psychedelic realms. You know, when you um, in an ayahuasca ceremony, when you see a snake or a snake's doing something to you, which is a common vision, um, generally it means something. And if, if, if without that interview, you might not know. Um, in fact, there were some really interesting uh, visuals that me and some others had that turned out to mean something pretty interesting. Um, my friend, the the one who was uh, Captain Purge a lot the whole <laughs> for the whole experience, um, she was she saw a huge gorilla. Um, a huge gorilla with, she said, laser beam eyes in this tree, um, this this huge tree that was outside of the hut. And the laser eyes were pointing to her chest somewhere. And she said she was very, very frightened of this gorilla. Well, um, during the healing, the, the individual healing with the shaman that night, he had said that he saw rows of, of yellow flowers stemming from her left hand up up around her shoulders and down to her right hand. And one of the flowers that was over her heart was dead. Um, and this dead flower was due to um, a difficult relationship that had ended. And um, it's, it really freaked her out because she had, just, um, she had just broken up with a boyfriend of hers and she was devastated by this and the shaman knew it and said that that, that was represented, representative of this dead uh, did, flower. Did the, sha- did the shaman know it in advance or did he intuit it? Uh, he knew it in advance. Mm-hmm. Do you do you mean advance of? I mean, did he, he she tell all this out? Did she tell him, or did he uh, intuit it on ayahuasca himself? Oh, he intuited it on ayahuasca himself. She mm-hmm. she said nothing regarding this to, to actually anybody on the trip. Okay, I don't think. Um, and so, yeah, he just totally knew this, and this this kind of blew her away. She was just amazed that he would know this. But what he said was that this gorilla. Um, in, in the trees with these laser eyes was, was not trying to harm her. She, she, you know, the, the visions are often very scary. Um, he said don't, to look past the scariness and the fear, and that actually he was trying to point out with those laser eyes the, the flower that she needed to work on. During the healing, he said that he had given her um, a new yellow flower to place over the dead one that would grow strong with a new relationship that was going to come in her future. What's really strange about this is my other friend that was lying to the right of me um, he said he had the strongest open-eye visual he had ever seen that was more concrete, more real than anything he'd ever seen, was that during um, my, the, uh, Captain Perdilot's healing with the shaman, um, he saw a yellow spirit go into the back of the shaman's head um, as well as a, a yellow spirit between, um, between her and the shaman. Wow. And uh, he, he could close his eyes for for a minute or more and open it, he was still there. He said he'd never seen anything like that. And this this is someone with um, quite a bit of psychedelic experience. He'd never seen uh, uh, a vision so concrete in, rea- in this reality. Um, he was just absolutely amazed. And he goes right along. He didn't find out till later, after my uh, my friend, uh, Captain Pergolot, had told him about what um, the shaman had said regarding the yellow flower and everything, that he was like, oh, my God, you know, I saw the... the the yellow flower he was putting there. I saw the spirit that he was calling upon to do this, and it was yellow. And so uh, it, it's, it's experiences like that, which there were several of by several different peers, that people 
they're just absolutely amazing, like nothing I've ever experienced before. And that's exactly what I'm sure you meant by a life-changing experience, having things like that happen. Absolutely. I think for a lot of people, the universe and reality got a whole lot bigger that night, where we tend to see things in such a, such a narrow view. Um, and I think an experience like this, especially someone who who has never been open to ideas like this or um, experiences like this, it really opens them up. Well, you know, I can can tell just uh, listening to you that the spirit of the vine, the spirit of the jungle, has uh, has returned home with you, and uh, that's really, I think, part of what this work is: is bringing the the living, breathing essence of Gaia uh, uh, back uh, to some of these dead areas. And I think that uh, perhaps the reason uh, it's happening uh, in the center of this country is uh, uh, like it's happening everywhere. It, it, it is what's bringing us all together, and it seems like these plants are uh, trying to wake us humans up. Absolutely. I think um, especially with hopefully hopefully I'll, I'll uh, be out of med school in, in another four years, and there, there's a lot of research. I was really, uh, really glad to uh, hear Char- uh, Charlie Grove on the show. He's done some amazing research, and uh, I hope to continue in those footsteps. There's a lot of research. So we've got we've got people who aren't into it in any scientific way that are experiencing it and bringing back um, the messages that the plant's giving. But on, on another on another level, we're trying to figure out exactly what the what the physical correlates of it are. And I think that in, on all these different levels, it's, it's, it's all good. We're, we're trying to figure out what these plants are trying to tell us. And hopefully, I, I mean, I really do think there's a lot to change. But uh, Ayahuasca said it, it, it's, uh, it's all going to be okay. So I think it will be. And I think the plants have a lot to, uh, a big part to play in that. As I was listening to this with you just now, I began to better understand what Sasha was saying in last week's podcast when he said he wasn't creating chemicals, but was creating instead a vocabulary of awareness. I'm not sure if this is exactly what he means, but to me, uh, what I now see is that after having some of these experiences, you do develop a sort of uh, unspoken vocabulary of awareness. I know it sounds strange to think about a a non-verbal vocabulary, but in a way that's what sometimes takes place when psychonauts compare notes. For me, there were uh, several points in our conversation where I could allow myself to be transported back to what was uh, ayahuasca space for me, Uh, particularly the part where he uh, was talking about it first starting to take hold. And if you've been there yourself, then you know exactly what I mean. And uh, even though I'm not attempting to describe the feeling, at least that's how I understand Sasha's uh, vocabulary of awareness. In fact, uh, I saw it in action again this past weekend when some friends stopped by and we were discussing the differences between uh, 5-MeO-DMT and toad venom. Uh, you know, which has 5-MeO as one of the active ingredients. But only one of our group had actually tried toad venom, and uh, although all of us had done 5-MeO. And so in order to explain what was uh, different about the toad venom, we wound up using a third substance that we'd all tried as a way to better illuminate the nuances of our conversation. And it was really as if that third substance uh, acted as a higher-level vocabulary for us to use to talk about the experiences that uh, 
are by definition ineffable, uh, which uh, <laughs> makes me sometimes wonder why we even try to describe them in the first place. But I'm thankful to uh, James for sharing his adventures with us, and as he told me later, he really has only uh, just begun to process all that happened to him on this trip. And I have a hunch that we'll be hearing more from James in the years to come. Uh, thanks again for those stories, James. Uh, I almost feel as if I was there with you. Oh, and by the way, I will be posting those uh, pictures that James sent, so uh, you'll be able to find them with the program notes for this podcast, which I'll uh, post at uh, www.psychedelicsalon.org sometime in the next day or so. And uh, I guess while I'm being thankful, I, I also want to be sure to send my love and gratitude to Zachary M., Edward Z., Kevin M., and Doug M., all of whom sent uh, donations to help offset the expenses of these podcasts. I, I really do appreciate your support. It, it means a lot to me. And, and while I'm thinking of it, uh, there are some other uh, fellow Saloners who I've thanked in previous podcasts but uh, haven't sent an email of thanks uh, to you yet. And I want you to know that I haven't forgotten about you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that also goes out to some of you who have written to ask questions that I haven't gotten a chance to answer yet uh, as well. I want you uh, all to know that my intentions are good, but my... Uh, Follow-through leaves a lot to be desired these days. You know, there was a time in my life when I could multitask and get all kinds of things done in a day. And uh, to be honest, I <laughs> I thought my own parents were kind of wimping out when they got to be the age I'm at now. And I couldn't understand how they could accomplish so little in a day or a week. But uh, <laughs> now I finally get it. You know, actually, uh, one of my grandchildren pointed it out uh, the other day when she called me a slowpoke. And uh, that was when I realized that, uh, you know, I'm just not going to get everything done each day that I want to do. And uh, the real reason, the, the real bottom line here is that, uh, hey, it feels good to slow down a little, to uh, stop and enjoy the view once in a while. I think it was John Lennon who said something to the effect that uh, life is what happens while you're planning what to do next. So I've pulled back a little from the planning part and uh, have been trying to enjoy the moment. And, uh, now I do read every email that comes in each day and uh, sometimes I even get off an answer once in a while. But uh, if I don't turn off my computer each day before I get everything done that's waiting there for me... Uh, you know, if I don't just put it down and walk away, I'll never get another book read in my life. And I've got a shelf full of unread books that I've been looking forward to reading for far too long. So, so please don't think that I'm not thinking about you or thinking about an idea or two that you sent my way. It's, uh, it's just that until we reach the point that Teilhard talked about when he said the newosphere awakens, uh, well, and until we get there and have some kind of uh, super psychic ability, I, I guess you're just going to have to take me on my word that uh, I like your comments, suggestions, new ideas, and uh, even your complaints, although I'm uh, happy to report that there haven't been many of those. In fact, it's, uh, it's rare that I don't agree with the sentiments in your emails, uh, and, and I do appreciate the thought that uh, goes into them. For example, uh, near the end of a recent email from James M., he said, It's just a ride, and we can change it any time we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings and money. A choice, right now, between fear and love. 
The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your door. Buy guns. Close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see all of us as one. Well, I think that's uh, very well put, James, and thanks for that, because it, it really is just that simple. And uh, yet, as they say, the devil is in the detail. So what that business about uh, we're all one really means is that uh, we're also all one with those screwheads in the world capitals who have led us into this mess. And uh, I know I must sound like a broken record, but I do believe that the path out of our collective insanity will at least be lighted by psychedelic medicines. Medicines that are mind-manifesting, soul-manifesting. They're not for everybody, and they're definitely not for the faint of heart. But as we heard today, those who are called and who are willing to venture into the unknown are often uh, rewarded beyond their expectations. And hey, uh, being here with you for these podcasts far exceeds any expectations that uh, I had for my life just a few short years ago. What a psychedelic trip this has been for me, being here with uh, you in the psychedelic salon. You know, as Terrence McKenna often said, ultimately, uh, we're all just creatures of language. And before I go, I want to mention that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are protected under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 2.5 license. And if you have any questions about that, just click on the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find at www.psychedelicsalon.org. And if you have any questions, comments, complaints, or suggestions about these podcasts, well, uh, send them to Lorenzo at MatrixMasters.com. And Jacques, Cordell, and Wells, my friends who make music under the name Chateau Hayuk, thanks again for the use of your great sounds here in the salon, you guys. Really appreciate it. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.